years ago this week, the world changed for most of us in Virginia as a state of emergency was declared and businesses slowly closed down. I ended up devoting most of my time to producing a podcast in order to understand what was going on. That podcast would grow into Charlottesville Community Engagement, a newsletter intended to bring people stories of what's happening. Today's edition is a reflection of sorts on that experience. I'm Sean Tubbs, still not sure what I do for a living exactly. On today's program, a top epidemiologist at the University of Virginia reflects on three years since the beginning of the pandemic. Virginia Passenger Rail hits a new record ridership in January, and Albemarle County supervisors have begun going through the $551.5 million budget for fiscal year 24. In today's first subscriber-supported public service announcement, if you are cleaning out your garage, basement, or garden shed as spring approaches, the Piedmont Master Gardeners will gladly take any yard and garden equipment that you no longer need. PMG is now accepting donations of new and used tools, hoses, decorative items, outdoor furniture, virtually anything used to create, maintain, and enjoy a garden. These green elephants will be offered for sale to the public during PMG's spring plant sale. Donated items may be dropped off at 402 Albemarle Square between 10 a.m. and noon on Tuesdays and Saturdays through the end of April. PMG is not able to accept plastic pots or open chemicals. To arrange a pickup or for more information, contact the Piedmont Master Gardeners at greenelephant at piedmontmastergardeners.org. And as for that sale, mark your calendar for Saturday, May 6th at Albemarle Square Shopping Center. It has now been over three years since former Governor Ralph Northam declared a state of emergency related to the arrival of COVID-19 as part of a global pandemic. Three years ago this week, rules were put into place to keep people apart to stop the spread of what was then an unknown virus whose impact was not fully known. Dr. Kosti Safri is director of hospital epidemiology at the University of Virginia Health System. It's clear that we've learned many lessons along the way, and I think it, it, the overall assessment is that um, th this pandemic was um, incredibly challenging. Dr. Sifri has spent much of that time talking to reporters each week as part of an attempt to help the public better understand what we were going through. He's been quoted many times in this newsletter as vaccines were rolled out to the public and as new waves of the novel coronavirus posed new threats. I think that there are many important lessons that have been learned, and um, I think that we need to be very diligent in, in really taking times like this to take a look back, um, understand what we did well, um, what were the missed opportunities. Dr. Sifri said one continuing challenge is the need for concise and clear communication about what was happening with the virus, as well as potential remedies. He said there were lots of opportunities for misinformation to spread. The likelihood of a new pandemic or other public health threat is not a low number. A warming planet opens up potential for new diseases to spread. One already has. You know, um, during that period of time, we've seen the global pandemic 
um, of, of, of monkeypox or mpox. That was not a pandemic um, uh, when um, COVID emerged, but um, it's occurred since then. In addition, we've seen um, Ebola again in Uganda, an Ebola-like virus, it's called Marburg, um, that's currently um, causing an outbreak of infections in Equatorial Guinea and Cameroon. The increase in the price of eggs is attributed to the rise of H5N1, which is devastating poultry farms across the world and threatens to spread to humans or other mammals. Hepatitis is also on the rise, as are other infectious diseases. Just here in the United States, we've seen polio in New York. We've seen measles in Ohio. Um, we're currently um, seeing um, bacterial meningitis due to um, a bacterium called meningococcus in the Hampton Roads area that's caused several deaths. Now, I don't write out any of this to scare anyone. Being alive on a planet filled with life comes with the reality that nothing is ever certain. But think how far our species has come to be able to identify existential threats. Dr. Sifri said when it comes to protecting from infectious diseases, more investment is needed. We need ongoing investments in um, public health um, and, and public health professionals who are there um, to, to um, help us confront, um, uh, deal with, mitigate, prevent these types of um, emerging and re-emerging infectious diseases, um, um, let alone ones that we may not know about yet. The public health workforce is also fatigued after a perpetual crisis. Dr. Sifri said the pandemic revealed the need to improve the overall system. We need to understand that um, these types of um, challenges are um, um, are, are very, um, you know, are, are very become very centered on um, issues like disparity of care and access to care. And so um, we need to, and I think we're, um, you know, committed to doing this, working with our community partners um, to make sure that um, we are um, reaching out to those communities to make sure that, um, again, medications, diagnostics, um, um, opportunities um, for education and, and information sharing um, are available to, to, to all of the citizenry um, in our community. One such program that emerged during the pandemic is well aware a partnership program between UVA Health, the Charlottesville Free Clinic, and Central Virginia Health Services that seeks to serve medically underserved communities. I wrote a segment in the July 13, 2022 edition of this show, previewing one of their events to promote walkability. Betsy Payton is Well Aware's director. We are um, an innovative new community health program that sends community health workers into people's homes to help connect them to better health care. Peyton said this includes neighborhoods such as Rose Hill and the 10th and Page neighborhood, as well as the Esmont area in southern Albemarle. Um, we chose these neighborhoods related to uh, health data. You know, it's highest rates of obesity, <clears throat> excuse me, stroke, um, highest rates of low acuity emergency room visits. So people going to the emergency room for things like a headache. Well Aware is intended to connect people to primary care physicians. Um, you know, we've signed a lot of people up for Medicaid who are scared to go to the doctor because they weren't sure how they would pay. We drive people to the doctor or provide free cabs to the doctor. But back to now and the third anniversary of the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Sifri said things are different now. This time last year, we were on the backside of the first Omicron surge. And, um, you know, that caused, you know, um, the largest amount of, of infection that we'd seen during the pandemic. Um, but we 
all can all recall that um, after that surge, we continue to see cases um, through the summer at a fairly brisk rate and, and that even were ramped up through this winter. Dr. Sifri said the impact on the community has lessened with the development of new medications that can be administered to people with higher risks of complications. The vaccines have provided a level of protection to, to individuals that were not available um, you know, this time a couple years ago. So, so there's that. There's also that experience of having had um, a lot of COVID in communities so that there is now a much larger amount of, you know, of, of, um, of, of immunity. However, Dr. Sifri said some are unable to take medications such as Paxlovid due to potential side effects or other drug interactions. Some medications are no longer useful, such as monoclonal antibodies. He said there's still a need for epidemiologists to remain vigilant. People like me or people that are working in health systems and in public health need to continue to pay attention to the virus around the globe. We need to continue to do those things like, you know, um, sequencing the virus, seeing how it's changed genetically, how its genome has evolved. How has your life changed since the pandemic? Mine has merged with this newsletter. The Charlottesville Quarantine Report lasted about 50 episodes or so, and I've now done over 500 of these more or less by myself. I've had quite a bit of loss during this time, but haven't we all? I am a journalist because I want to understand things, and I am grateful for all I have gained through the support of readers and listeners over the past three years. Thank you very much. I'll keep going. The temporary shutdown of the pandemic caused a plunge in many charts, including those that depict ridership on public transit. The Virginia Passenger Rail Authority this week, though, has reported that ridership on state-funded trains has not only returned to pre-pandemic levels, but has also set a new record. Ridership on the four Amtrak routes in January was 87,300. That's a 27.7% increase over January of 2020. And it's a new record for the first month of the year. The train lines to Roanoke and Norfolk both saw big increases in ridership due to additional service. The Amtrak service between Roanoke and D.C. experienced 22,639 riders in January, up from 16,689 three years ago. The Norfolk route had 31,226 passenger journeys. That's up 62.5% from January of 2020. The service to Newport News stayed about the same at 24,215, and the service to Richmond was up 11.4% to 9,220. The numbers for both January 2021 and January 22 were much lower. The first state-funded passenger service started in October of 2009 between Lynchburg and D.C. Now there are eight round trips daily, with stops at 17 locations across all of the corridors. Overall, 1,021,452 passengers took train trips on Virginia's Amtrak trains in 2022, a record year of ridership. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out. WTJU wants you to know the second annual puzzle hunt is coming. 
Save the date for Saturday, August 26th, for this citywide cerebral puzzle for you and your friends to solve. Before then, wet your puzzle-solving appetite at WTJU's Puzzle Hunt Preview Party. That's Thursday, March 16th, from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Looking Glass at Ix Park at 522 2nd Street Southeast. This will feature music, drinks, and a mini-puzzle to get you warmed up for the main event in August. Everyone is invited to the free preview party. Please register at SeabillPuzzleHunt.com to attend. One big segment today, and it's not quite out of date because there isn't a budget yet, but it is about a week old. The audio, that is. Albemarle County supervisors have now had two budget work sessions, and today they will make their first decision. What should the tax rates be for personal property and the real estate property? Right now, the budget assumes no increase to the 0.854 cents per $100 of assessed value, but that could change if supervisors feel they would like additional funding for various programs. This usually comes up as the six elected officials review each section of the budget, chapter by chapter. The total budget is $551.5 million, as we learned from Andy Bowman. He's the chief of the county's Office of Management and Budget. This is a decrease from last year of $35 million, or 6%. Bowman explained that this is in part because of a reduction in federal funding now that the pandemic-era relief programs are in the past. Bowman also explained how a one-time transfer of $7.5 million from revenues from fiscal year 23 to the capital improvement program. This is one of the strategies staff has taken to provide the one-time funding into the CIP above the normal formula amount so that we're able to balance the CIP that does not delay or descope projects despite the challenge of massively increasing project cost and increased borrowing costs as well. Bowman said that for 2023, real estate assessments were stronger than expected, but personal property assessments are weaker. In calendar year 23, we know that we have an increase of 13.46% in our reassessment. In calendar year 24, and I'll say anyone who reads, whether it be uh, housing data, economist, or whatever it may be, no one projects that rate of growth or housing that's taken place is going to repeat. At the moment, staff is assuming a 2% increase for 2024 for real estate property taxes based on surveillance of economic indicators. Bowman also went through the requirement in Virginia Code to advertise a lowered rate and effective rate for fiscal year 24. What is the uh, what is the tax rate that would be required to generate the same amount of revenue um, to essentially offset the increase in reassessments? And for calendar year 23, that number is 75.3 cents per $100 of assessed value. If the board wanted to lower that rate, they'd have to do so today. Each penny on the tax rate generates about $2.7 million. Here is Finance Director Nelsie. Here is Chief Financial Officer Nelsie Birch. The budget, I will say, is balanced on 85.4. So if we go to 75.3, just as an an example, there would have to be the offsetting expenditure or revenue increase to cover. This year, the budget also includes an additional $240,000 for a tax relief program for the elderly and disabled. That's for a total of $1.72 million for fiscal year 24. 
Visit the county's website if you're interested in learning more about the program. The personal property tax rate is being kept lower than it had been in the fiscal year 22 budget due to the higher-than-expected assessments. Unless changed by supervisors, the rate will remain for this year at $3.42 per $100 of assessed value. That's the same rate as fiscal year 23, but Bowman estimated the revenue will bring in $3.3 million less than in fiscal year 23. A hypothetical to kind of put some of this together is that if the board was interested in generating as much revenue as the 23 adopted budget, uh, and every penny is just a little under $100,000, you would need about 34 cents to get to back to the budget, which would be a rate of 376. Bowman said that change is not staff's recommendation. Staff is not recommending any increase in the rate for food and beverages, nor transient lodging. The end of federal funding through the American Rescue Plan Act means that Albemarle has to begin paying for programs that were used to help some in the community during the pandemic. We had a program for rent relief that we paid for out of ARPA. We are now moving local funding into supporting for the very first time this, this need that we've not had to, had to fund out of the local general funds. Another big change happening is in an increased investment in transit due in part to rising costs as well as the microtransit project slated to begin later this year. The contribution to Charlottesville area transit increases 30% to $1.3 million, and the contribution to Jaunt increases by about a million to over $3.3 million. We've had a considerable increase in our contribution to, to Jaunt. Um, and the complexity of transit is only getting more complex. And we do not have a subject matter expert on staff who can navigate successfully between CAT, Charlottesville Area Transit, and Johns, and how we can ensure that we're properly leveraging the right dollars to help protect the county's coffers. Birch said staff wants to hire a consultant to help advise on a way going forward. Albemarle County has no vote in the way Charlottesville Area Transit is funded. There's also an ongoing study of governance structures worth noting. Here's Diantha McKeel. She's an Albemarle County supervisor who has been on the regional transportation, who has been on the regional transit partnership since it was formed in the fall of 2017. She wanted to know if that consultant would be advising on that topic. One of the possibilities that is being investigated through TJPDC and the Regional Transit Partnerships is the possible thought of going to an authority. Birch said the consultant will seek ways to maximize funding under the current structure, where Albemarle does not have a significant ownership stake in any of the transit systems. And then also using a consultant to help us navigate from today to tomorrow. And where could we go? And how could that look? And and helping us through that transition. There is also funding in the recommended budget to match federal grants to hire additional fire and rescue personnel. As with many places across Virginia, local governments continue to pick up more of the work. Deputy Chief David Puckett explained there is a long lead time to train and recruit people, and so the department looks a few years into the future. Albemarle has previously applied for, and received, two Staffing for Adequate Fire and Emergency Response grants, otherwise known as SAFER grants. We think this is essential to add as the, as the development area particularly continues to urbanize and, and develop. 
Some of the additional firefighters would staff a second fire engine to serve Southern Albemarle, which has longer response times. The other would be for additional staff to be dedicated to ladder trucks, with a new truck to be based at the Monticello Fire Station, which is also known as Station 3. Safer grants pick up the salary and benefits for three years, and Puckett said the county will hear back from the federal government about whether they were successful sometime in the fall. On Monday, there was a work session on the school budget as well as the capital improvement program. And as I finalize this newsletter, supervisors are on their third work session. Now, questions raised by supervisors in between meetings are all publicly available. You can take a look at the county's budget page to see those. And as of this recording, there are 14 answers to 14 questions. There is another work session on March 22nd, and the one on March 29th, there will be a topic on employee retention and funding under the category of workforce stabilization. I hope to have a story about today's work session in the near future. When? Keep reading and or listening to find out for sure. is an odd week and I've not had time to get to work mostly, but I assure you I will be back at full speed soon. I am helping my parents move to a new house and that doesn't mean that the world has stopped, but the table upon which I usually do this work when I'm in Lynchburg just is no longer there. That's delayed this version, which I had hoped would come out on Monday, but there's a Robert Burns couplet about this somewhere. The rest of this week may also be a bit dodgy. I hope to get one out tomorrow, but I already suspect it will probably be Friday. I will be back to full speed soon, and as such, I will hold off on the sales pitch today, except to thank Ting for their matching of the initial payments of paid Substack subscribers. Please consider joining them, and thank you to Rocky for the music, and thank you to PJ Sykes for the opening theme, and thank you for listening to this final word. You, yes, the person who is hearing this, You're my favorite listener.